Mini Episode 1460 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. You've mentioned that before. The one thing I will say is I'm always sort of leery in trying to get a read on this kind of stuff because... A uh, long-time uh, you know, FDH Lounge dignitary on the show, Kyle Ross, uh, somebody who has uh, worked extensively in the uh, handicapping biz, had always talked to me about the difference between smart money and public money. So something like that, Chris, that kind of reeks to me of a lot of public money going on the Browns because of a move like that. And that's a thing where I, I, I just don't know, because that's a thing where if it's public money, it's meaningless. If it's smart money, then it's meaning, very, very, very meaningful. And that's where I draw the distinction, and I just don't know what would drive something like that. Well, I think it's probably a combination of both, is my guess. Yeah, it might be. It might be. It's hard uh, to say. And I think that, you know, you even, you even talk to, you know, um, you talk to Sharps, you talk to the NFL League people. I mean, everybody recognized that the Browns have a Super Bowl-quality roster. They just didn't have a Super Bowl-quality quarterback. And so you've now fixed the one hole that it had. So I think that both Sharps and the public can recognize that, well, okay, this was a really great roster, that despite the failings at the quarterback position and all the issues they had last year, they still won eight games um, with the 28th best passing attack. Um, You know, it, it doesn't take much to realize that, you know, you put in a guy like Watson, whose worst year in terms of passing as a quarterback in his career was better than Baker's best year. Um, how that changes the Browns talent and the ability to use that talent. So now I will say this, I still think the Browns have some question marks at the wide receiver position. Sure. So Cooper's a good step in the right direction. You know, they still have Schwartz and people's Jones, but after that you're sort of like, okay, what's the next now we're already hitting in, talking about players want to play with the guy. Fuller's talking about wanting to come here. Jarvis is, there's talk that he might want to come back. You know, the, the, the they were in on Robert Woods. He chose to go to the Titans because um, apparently he wanted to play in Nashville. Um, so it, it's, you know, they've got to, they've got to shore that up, um, obviously between the draft and, and maybe one or two other free agents. But, um, uh, you know, I think that this team is Super Bowl caliber, and when you look at the North, they're probably the favorites in the North again, is, is my guess. Robert Woods, who knew that the guy had a Hank Williams Jr. fetish, huh? You learn something new every day. But, uh, I know. But, yeah, maybe he loves Tootsies. I yeah, maybe, maybe. But as as far as it goes with, uh, with Will Fuller, I will say, I mean, that's a guy I've talked about repeatedly on the show here. Uh, I know FDH Lounge dignitary John Adams always pops for my reference to that line about the country of Brazil over a period of time. 
to me, Will Fuller is the wide receiver of the future, and he always will be. I mean, uh, when's the last time that guy stayed healthy for an entire season? No, I'm I'm with you on it. I'm not enamored with that, but I mean, uh, they need a deep threat, though. They definitely need a deep threat, and Amari Cooper's not necessarily the guy in that regard. I mean, he can go deep, but he's not going to be. He, he's not the guy I think of when I think burner. There's definitely a need on that. You know, DPJ, when he gets some more polish, maybe, but, you know, he's still sort of working towards that. I agree with what you're saying about wide receiver and targeting it either in the draft or free agency. I'm guessing draft might be more likely because you're, you're going to be going younger if it's in the draft, and generally speaking, youth and speed sort of go hand in hand. You know, but, uh, you know, yeah, I well, agree with I you there. see a guy like Pickens being there in the second round to grab him. Yes, and that's, um, that's and, possible. And that's, the kind, and that's the kind of fit they're looking for. Yes. Um, and, and so I wouldn't be surprised if there's one more free agent and then a guy like Pickens is drafted and then they sort of shored that up. Yes. Uh, um, so, and we look, we're, we're apparently, um, you know, competing for, for Hicks at the defensive tackle position. There's there's talk of some other players. So, you know, we, we just got to wait and see. But, um, you know, if they get Hicks and they re-sign Clowney, now suddenly you feel pretty good about that. And then, uh, you know, depending on uh, Landry's situation and or what they do in the draft. I mean, again, this is a Super Bowl roster. The, the Cincinnati Bengals almost won the Super Bowl last year with a defense that is, is not as good as ours even. So, again... A, a top offensive line. Conklin comes back healthy. Yes, we degraded the center position slightly, but I think they're comfortable with Harris's progression, um, and that they, you know, they just couldn't pay top dollar all the way across that line, so they had to make a hard choice somewhere. Um, so, I mean, I, again, this is a Super Bowl caliber roster. I'll just keep saying defensive and, line. And now, defensive line needs upgrading as well, and I would say kicker. And don't be afraid to draft a kicker. Uh, because uh, you know, the Bengals show. You and I have banged the table for that. Yes, repeatedly. Be, be willing to get in the fifth round and take a kicker. Yeah. Or, just, or, just do it. Or fourth. Yeah, or fourth uh, potentially here. Uh, think about that. They made this deal for Watson. They gave up one pick this year. Yeah. One. Yeah. And, uh, one. And in, in, in looking at this, uh, you know, in, in part because of the draft capital and the ramifications and everything like this, so uh, I, I, I'm I'm a little more cautious than you are on the level of upgrade here. As I say, I think a pretty big upgrade on field for the team. Uh, you know, certainly, I mean, you have to be an idiot not to say that. I, I, I'm a little more cautious, it seems like, all the way around than you. Let's just do a gut check thing here. Throw out a number on each. On per, per, chance of making the playoffs, had Baker been in there, Chance of making the playoffs with a six-game suspension for Watson. I'm going to say, had Baker still been here, I think with the rest of the roster being in place, uh, the fact that, again, you never know what's going to happen. One or two of these teams is going to slip on a banana peel when you don't expect it. I'll say as high as a 15% chance of making the playoffs if it was Baker here. If it's a four-to-six-game four suspension for Watson, especially a six-game suspension, as I said before, I give it to the Ravens over them on a coin flip, so I'll say 45% chance. So 15 if it was Baker, 45% chance with a six-game Watson suspension. What's your gut check on the numbers for each of those? Um, I think Baker would have been about a 20% chance. Oh, 20. You're going higher than me even. That's fascinating. Okay. I am because I still, I, 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 it, let's, well, okay. And again, you got to. 
let's say Baker's in the right frame of mind. Right. And Good Baker. And he's not bitter, and he doesn't skip the whole offseason and everything like that. Right. Um, you know, I saw with 2020 what Baker, what a team that it was properly able to support Baker could do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so I think, again, a team that wins 11 games is going to go to the playoffs. Okay. So I, I we're playing a fourth-place schedule. You know, we probably could have won up to 11 games with Baker. Hell, we won eight last year, and he was terrible. Yeah. I, I mean, so that's not a huge leap to go, you mean we couldn't squeak out three more? Right. Um, I think we could have, actually. I would say that. Okay. Uh, and what I would say is the separation is what Watson gives you once you're in the playoffs. So but there's that. And I think with Watson... I think we're looking at about a, probably about a, a if there's a six-game suspension, I'm going to say it's about a 60 to 65% chance. Okay. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I think that that's, I think that's reasonable. Again, I'm going to assume with Jacoby Brissett, there's a, you know, it's like a three-and-three three type of thing to start the season. The other thing is, you know, we don't know the schedule. Right. We don't know if we're front-loaded. We don't know if we're backloaded. We don't know anything. I mean, what if our what if our first six are you know the easiest games of the schedule, and we've got Brissett? I you know I don't know. What if four of them are at home, and therefore helping that process out? Um, you know, there's just factors we just don't know yet. Well, um, with, with my- I, I would think that if we went three and three, fans would have to understand that that's a success. With, with my Roger Goodell cynicism. I'm going to say the first six are going to be front-loaded as F. Uh, I, I just, so the Browns go 0-6. Yeah. I, listen, you don't think Goodell is looking for that after the way the Browns put a kick-me sign on the whole disciplinary uh, pr- procedure for the NFL? I mean, you know, the, the wrath of Roger Goodell shows up in ways big and small, as I've been saying on the show year after year. So, uh, well, you know. I mean, I guess it, it, it remains to be seen. So right. I think there are other factors, other teams, other things that are going to sort of trump what he, if he, even if he wants to punish the Browns. Um, but that being said, uh, you know, don't be surprised if they, yeah, they, you know, they have two home games in their first six weeks or something like that. So they really stick it to them. And it's interesting because um, in different sports, in, in football, baseball, basketball, I don't know if it's spread to hockey, but uh, in the advanced statistics, they have the whole value over replacement player. I mean, Jacoby Brissett, to me, I think of him at this point in time as replacement player. I mean, he's a guy they signed off the street, quite frankly. So, you know, as far as what he can do with this roster and whatever, uh, it, you know, for I don't know if Case Keenum is a good point of comparison here because when Case Keenum was in there, uh, he wasn't really going to help you win, but he had a much higher floor. We've talked about this repeatedly on the show here, and uh, mm-hmm. so... Again, the floor of Brissett, I mean, he's competent, and uh, we'll have to see in the course of those six games what just, uh, you know, the, the proficient level of competence he gets you. Yeah, you just you just need him to right the ship for however long the, 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 the suspension is. He's just got to, you know, like I said, I, I think, you know, let's assume it's six. Let's assume it's the first six. I, I just need Brissett to go three and three. Okay. And 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 I think they're going to make the playoffs then. All right. Um, uh, as so. we start to bring this around full circle here, uh, this is a thing where uh, I mean, and this is this is somewhat on field, somewhat off field, but we're we're staying away from the, the the morality side of this, which I'd already decided before we didn't want to really 
get into besides our initial thoughts, not least of which because you can go on social media and get everyone's thoughts on this, and really nobody at this point has an original point of view on this pro or con. Nobody does. Nobody right. does. I mean, everything I'm saying, everything you're saying is being said in real time there, and I'm very proud that this show uh, has always tried to tackle things in a different kind of a way. So that's another reason we weren't going to get into that whole can of worms here tonight. But this whole thing here, if this turns into the Hindenburg in the long run here, if this does, if this is a, a bad to worst case scenario as far as what sticks to Watson, this is a situation where, I said this to somebody the other day, and this might sound like a knee-jerk kind of a thing, I do regard Andrew Barry at this point, short though his tenure has been, as a top five GM in this league. And I said to somebody the other day, the thing is, he may never work as a GM again after this. I honestly think if this thing turns into the worst case scenario, there's going to be such a stench all the way around. I think there's really necks being stuck out in a lot of different ways here. I know you're a big Andrew Berry guy. I know that it's probably just about impossible for you to fathom such a scenario. But, uh, you know, if the worst comes to pass on this situation here, as great of a GM as he's been, what are the odds that this is his last gig as a GM? Assuming the Browns don't win the Super Bowl first, because winning cures everything. You know, Barry, if it's the worst-case scenario and the Browns haven't won the Super Bowl yet, what does his future look like? First, let me just say that my willingness to give some level of consideration to this deal and not just sort of knee-jerk react against it is because of Andrew Barry. It's not because of the Haslam's. It's not because of anybody other than the fact that, as you alluded, I am a big Andrew Berry fan, and I have been, and and so I have a lot of faith in him, um, and I and I and I want to believe that we would not have made this move if he was not one hundred percent comfortable with the data points that he had. Um, that said, to your point, if it all blows up and goes sideways, and there's more stuff to come out or, you know, I don't know, it comes back around and now there's a, there's an indictment or God only knows. Um, then yeah, it puts this franchise back six years. Jimmy Haslam will pay a guy a quarter of a billion dollars for a disaster. And it, it would, it would certainly wreck Andrew Barry's career for some time. Um, I don't think, I don't agree with you that he would never work again. Um, I think that he has a lot of fans in this league already that realize this guy is sharp as F. I think there are Eagles fans who wish to God they hadn't let him go back to the Browns, but had gotten rid of Howie instead. I think that there the respect uh, shown when they hired his deputy up to Minnesota. That there are there are just when you talk to people around the league, it's clear. When there's scuttlebutt, it's like the opinion of the league about Andrew Barry is extremely high. And so, yeah, this, if this blows up, there's no doubt that it, it sort of sets him back. And, and, you know, maybe for five years, he's sort of out in the wilderness. But at some point, someone's going to say, that guy is really smart. Look at the players he drafted. Look at how he manipulated the cap. Look at his plan, process, all that stuff. We really like it. Let's go in here and give him another chance. Maybe he learned his lesson. But that, that, you know, and at the end of the day, if it blows up, maybe in the end they just end up blaming the Haslam's, right? I mean, that'd be a convenient scapegoat. Well, because God only knows people would believe that they would go, "Well, it was a dumb decision. Had to be, had to be old Jimma." So, you know, I 
I, I just I don't think that it would be a death now for his career if it went sideways. Well, I, I've had some people try to stick it uh, just to the Haslam's this past week, and I haven't let them get away with that point of view when they've said that, because I said Andrew Barry was key to making it happen, the way that he came up with all the contractual terms and everything like that. If, if he wanted out on this thing, when Watson first said no, that would have been it. Andrew Barry, if he wasn't behind the deal, he would have let it die then, even if the Haslam's would have been like, can't you still do something else? Andrew Barry was key to executing this deal here. His his, his signature well, is I, all over. And I agree, and I think that that shows the faith that the Haslam's have in Because I agree with you. If he was absolutely opposed to it, it wouldn't happen. Yeah. I, I agree. So for anybody that's out there trying to have it both ways as far as, well, maybe this isn't Andrew Barry's guy. No, this is Andrew Barry's guy, and uh, he's going to rise or fall with what happens uh, with this uh, deal. So are there any... I agree. I agree with that. I think Barry is on board with it, and I think Barry realizes in the current AFC that if he doesn't have a top 10 quarterback, he's got nothing. Yeah. Well, and I think that that, and, and maybe that is a little bit of the desperation of the moment, right? Maybe that just the ultra-competitive nature of the AFC creates enough of a pressure point that the Browns went and did something that they wouldn't otherwise have done, potentially. Well, we'll have to see how it uh, plays out. Any other uh, aspects of this from, from your point of view on field? Because I, I think I've touched on everything that was on my mind. No, I think off the field, um, you know, I, I share the concerns of it being a problematic move. I mean, it certainly has a, a distasteful nature to it. Um, I, I still want the whole process to play out um, before we, uh, you know, fully, uh, uh, you know, s send the young man up the river on all of it. Um, that being said, I'm not, that would not wash him clean of being. Um, and somehow completely innocent of stuff. I mean, clearly there's a pattern here that needs to be addressed in, in terms of his behavior, and, and I don't like it. But at the same time, on the, I, you know, if you're asking me to analyze it from the on-field standpoint, if you're a Browns fan and you're able to compartmentalize and you're looking at just the on-field component, it's a massive win for the Browns. Yeah, it is. And, uh, I mean, the, the degree to which, you know, we've gotten into that here uh, tonight and that uh, not everybody comes down in the same place because anytime you do anything, even with purely on-field implications, uh, and you, you put, uh, you know, salary cap and, uh, you know, uh, draft considerations in that as well, uh, nothing is ever purely 100% good or bad on-field, or rarely is, is that ever the case. But it's you know, how does it come out in the mix here? But uh, I, I think it is pretty much a pure consensus league-wide if you're just looking at the on-field of this. It is a massive win and a massive upgrade for the Browns. And How much closer it puts the Browns uh, to the Super Bowl, that's where we can uh, disagree here. And uh, we'll be getting into more discussions of this in uh, the wider framework of the NFL as the year goes on and as we uh, you know get to draft time and then subsequently the start of the 2022 season. So, uh, an excellent uh, discussion, Chris. I think we covered all the different aspects here of uh, what to look for on field with this thing. No, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And I just, my last point on it would be for fans would be to say this. You're not going to get to have your cake and eat it too in terms of simply saying, well, I don't, you know, I don't like Watson. Um, and, and, and then therefore, but I'm going to root for, for Nick Chubb and Jarvis Landry. And, and especially the guys like Jarvis Landry. Let's say Jarvis Landry comes back. 
Farmer Slander just told you what he thinks of the situation. Um, so anyone that wants to use uh, this as this a morality play, um, when you have players that are willing and wanting to play alongside Deshaun Watson, it's not just ownership that you get to throw under the bus. If you feel from a moral standpoint that it was wrong, um, it's going to be your other favorite players as well. It's going to be the Jarvis Landry's and the Nick Chubbs and the, and, and the John Johnson's um, who are celebrating it. So um, I just I just caution those who sort of want to kind of go both ways in it. Like, you know, Juice is my guy, but oh, I don't like Watson. Well, you're not going to get it both ways because Juice is telling you what he thinks about it. And so is Nick Chubb. And so is any free agent who signs subsequently. So I, I just sort of caution um, some fans. You see it on Twitter um, trying to have it both ways. And it's like, yeah, you're not really going to be able to. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I don't think anybody... Uh, team fandom or otherwise uh, is is going to have completely uh, clean hands uh, from that perspective here of uh, cheering for this team going forward. That, to my opening statement, uh, is the point at which uh, you know ownership in the front office has put this team and has put for many people, uh, myself included, that conundrum uh, in front of them. So, uh, but as I say, I'm glad we were able to largely stay away from that uh, aspect of it. Got to it to the extent that it was necessary to get to it, so it's not the elephant in the room. But uh, keeping it on field, which again distinguishes this discussion uh, from what they're doing in other places, which is again what we love to do with this. Uh, thank you very much, Chris, and thank you everybody for tuning in to this mini episode of the FDH Lounge.